but it's going to be very difficult and, and long to, 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 to do that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think a ch- yeah, the, the right thing to do is to to deal with the consequences of this bubble bursting, and uh, reform the economy and uh, uh, generate uh, new sources of productivity, uh, and uh, and uh, use these gains to pay for the cost, mm. uh, which uh, the government doesn't want to do. The government basically is depending on exports. The Chinese people still work hard, and uh, as long as the global economy is standing, Chinese exports will keep going. So, so uh, the domestic economy will become like a in, in a zombie-like situation for for many years. Okay, Andy, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Andy Share, Shanghai-based independent economist. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia uh, is up about 0.1 percent. In fact, it's just gone flat now. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is slipping. That's down about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang, uh, Hang Seng is going to open about 30 points or so lower later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, a few showers, squally thunderstorms, sunny intervals during the day. It can be very hot in the afternoon. Maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be windy with one or two showers. Temperatures are going to fall slightly on Tuesday and Wednesday. That very hot weather warning is in force, as is a thunderstorm warning. 27 degrees, 81% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Ben Share with the half-hour news. One of the largest gatherings of global statesmen and women for decades has taken place at Buckingham Palace ahead of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. Her son, King Charles, hosted the reception. From outside the palace, here's the BBC's Rebecca Jones. It was an unprecedented gathering of world leaders, heads of state, royalty, and the US President Joe Biden arrived here in the presidential motor car known of course as the beast some of the other dignitaries also arrived in their own vehicles but we also saw a convoy of coaches frustratingly with blacked out windows so it was difficult to know uh, who the guests inside were but it was rather tantalizing to imagine that an emperor might have been rubbing shoulders with a king Authorities in Japan have urged millions of people to head for emergency shelters as a huge storm moves across the southern island of Kyushu. In the coming days, Typhoon Nan Medal is expected to sweep over the country's most populated areas. The Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave this warning before darkness fell. Do not go near dangerous areas. If you feel that you are in danger, do not hesitate to evacuate. Please take early action to save your lives. Evacuating at night is extremely dangerous. Please evacuate to safe areas like high places and sturdy buildings while it is still light. The storm could be one of the biggest to hit Japan in decades. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. 
On today's programme, we're talking about a baby bonus suggestion to help address the city's low birth rate and ageing population. The New People's Party has said the government should offer a $20,000 payment to the uh, family of every newborn. It's also suggesting a $50,000 subsidy to encourage people to have their eggs or sperm frozen for use at a later date. Hong Kong saw a record low birth rate last year, with the number falling below 40,000 for the first time in more than five decades. And after 9.15, we'll talk about tree management after a large tree fell onto a school bus in Ho Man Tin on Friday. Let us know what you think. If you want to join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And joining us now on the line, we have uh, Regina Ip, the New People's Party chairwoman and legislator. Good morning to you. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so you, you've described this figure of $20,000, which you suggested as, a, as a, a red packet for the families of newborns, because, of course, uh, raising a child is very expensive. But uh, um, how much of a help do you think this will be? Well, it's just a token measure to um, signal the government's concern, you know, about the low birth rate and to uh, give offer... Uh, some comfort to couples having babies. Of course, it's very expensive to raise a child. Even at childbirth, some people spend a lot to hire wet nurse or that sort of thing, you know. So $20,000 is what we think is affordable by the government because if we have 35,000 births a year, it will cost the government about $700 million. And the FS just said... He expects a budget deficit of 100 billion a year. Mm. Uh, Good morning, Regina. Why do we need more people? We have a population crisis, Mike. You know, our life expectancy is increasing. It's uh, 85, you know, and uh, our population rapidly aging. And fertility is rapidly declining, continuously declining. It is now 0.77. You know, so I think we really need to um, encourage childbirths, and I recommended financial support for people to store their eggs of sperm, because I think um, in a high-stress city like Hong Kong, people need more flexibility to plan, um, to do family planning, particularly women. You know, women have a biological clock, and a lot of well-educated, well-qualified women. They get married late, you know, so I think it will encu- we should encourage them to store their eggs early so that they can have more choice when they get married. Can't we plug the gap by bringing people in from other places? Pardon? I can't hear you very well. Sorry, I, couldn't we uh, allow more people to come and live in Hong Kong from outside? We are doing that, you know. We have a daily quota of 150, maximum of 1 to 50. One-way permit holders, that is immigrants uh, from mainland China, uh, but that has been drying up. The quota was introduced by the British in the 1980s for family reunion because there were a lot of cross-boundary marriages at that time. But I think the proportion of cross-boundary marriages is shrinking. 
And more or less everyone's got you. Yeah. years, the, the daily arrivals have, uh, have dried up to about 50 a day. Are there, I mean, I, I'm thinking of looking after the elderly, um, and you need generally younger people to do that. Could we bring in more nurses and social workers from, say, the Philippines or Indonesia? Well, we, we are not short of social workers. You know, the self-finance colleges are offering a lot of programs in social work, but we do need more nurses and care workers, you know. And um, they the healthcare industry. You know, the elderly services industry claim they are short by 20%, all the staff they need at frontline levels. And that's the one, that's one industry uh, which is allowed to have imported health, uh, care workers. They already have imported care workers. I do support importing more health and medical care professionals. I fully support that. OK, well, stay with us, because we're also joined now on the line by Paul Yip, who's uh, Chair Professor of Population Health at the, the University of Hong Kong's uh, Social Work and Social Administration Department. So good morning to you. Uh, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. So, so um, financial incentives or financial support for families, uh, or for the families of, of newborn infants, uh, um, is, that, is that a good way to go? Well, I think it is good to have, but, uh, uh, because I think as um, we all know that raising a family in Hong Kong, it is quite expensive. But based on the international uh, experiences, I think there's a cash bonus, I think, given in Singapore and also in South Korea. The impact itself it is still quite limited because I think um, a small family it seems to be alone of this high-income society uh, already. So um, I think it's good to have, but I think if we really rely on this uh, so-called cash bonus, I think to try to uh, help to uh, increase the fertility rate, I think uh, we, might be we might be disappointed. Yes. And based on all the study, it suggests that I think we, what we need is a more holistic support, not only the cash bonuses. I think we are talking about um, the family-friendly working environment, and what we're talking about, the whole um, um, the society itself. I think with the parents that they feel uh, that they can start their family here. Um, uh, good morning. What, to what extent is this a morale problem, do you think? Well, I I think it's just um, uh, as we know that the uh, fertility rate is very low. I think uh, one thing it is the late marriage and then or the non-marriage. And also, I think we also see the recent migration of our young couples, I think, leaving Hong Kong. I think these are the people who would be able to help, I think, to improve the fertilities. But at this moment, I think uh, uh, both, it doesn't go into our direction. No? Right. Because I, one of the saddest things I've ever read was your comment in the newspaper uh, a couple of weeks ago that that suicide was more of a challenge to uh, young people than than COVID. Well, I mean, that is true. I mean, what we see, I think, especially among the young, the young children, I think because of the, the disruption I think of the uh, of their school life. I mean the disruption. I think uh, induced I think by um, the COVID itself. I think it's very unfortunate. I think uh, we see the historical height of the suicide rate among the young people, and then I think we do have to work hard. I think to um, to to 
reassure our young people. I, I mean, the support just there, and also we also give the hope to our young people too. Right, because I think if people are feeling depressed like this, um, they're much less likely to get married and have children. Uh, that is very true too. I mean, uh, whenever you have a poor economic situation and with a grim outlook, and also if the society itself, I think if they're not very happy, and 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 and, and, and I think these are the things that we have to look at, you know, apart from just uh, providing the, the sort of cash bonuses. Um, Regina, do you agree? Do you think we need a more holistic uh, approach to family-friendly policies? Our party recommended a whole package of measures, mm. not just financial support, um, flexible hours for professional women, um, reducing the, the time required for working women at the lower level to enjoy full labor benefits, you know, more daycare centers. You, we put forward a whole raft of recommendations. But uh, in big cities, um, in all big cities, uh, couples um, live under considerable pressure. So all the, all the more reason why you should help them to store the eggs or sperm so that they can have more flexibility and make use of science to produce babies at a later age. And, and that, uh, going that, down that route is more control of the timing, I suppose. That is... it, uh, yes, people can uh, decide when to have babies. And we already have the legislation in place to regulate the use of human reproductive technology. The ordinance was passed in the year 2000. Um, what would you say would be uh, a, a good time for, say, professional couples, uh, you know, particularly if, uh, you know, if, particularly in the case of women who want to develop their careers? Um, what would be a good time to make use of this technology and uh, start a family? It uh, depends. I know of young women who started uh, storing uh, her, uh, their eggs around the age of 30, you know. Mm. Below, before, I think depends on, on medical advice, before 35, you know, when you produce, when women produce best quality eggs so that they can have babies if they find the right man, the right guy at 40, you know. Um, Paul Yip, uh, is that a proposal that uh, you would support as well? Well, I think this proposal I think has been mentioned. I think in the, uh, the strategic population policy, I think a few years ago. <laughs> but yeah. I think it is good. I think to provide the support. I mean, for the individuals. I think who have the aspiration. I mean, the form to have the children. I think in the timing. But as I said before, I mean, this number is very small. I think we are talking about a few hundreds, right? But now we are talking about a reduction of the total number of babies from 50,000 now to 30-something thousands. So I think it is good, I mean, to give um, this support to the parents I mean, who aspire to be a parents. I mean, if they do have this uh, financial difficulties and give them uh, their support too. I mean, the Family Planning Association, I think, uh, which I'm... I'm Executive member there. I mean, we always advise the parents. I think they make their plan. I mean, uh, yes, I think we do um, uh, see the women who like to have the professional development, but at the same time, but do plan. I mean, do plan, do plan it well, and and seek medical advice. And then uh, we always say that don't wait for too late. You know, I mean, even with the medical device itself, you know, it still might be difficult. I mean, to have a baby, you know. So. Um, I was just thinking of civil service conditions um, 
if you are, are become pregnant, but within a, a certain time of joining the government, you, you don't get the maternity leave. You don't get the pay. Is that, a, is that something that would help a little bit? Well, I'm, I'm not aware of this rule, but we have increased the duration of maternity leave. We passed legislation. We amended legislation. Uh, it used to be 10 weeks. It is now 14 mm, weeks. 14, yeah. So, mm. yeah. And on population, we are also recommending, recommending that the government takes the lead in putting back the retirement age for the entire civil service, not just those employed on new terms, uh, that is uh, as from June 2000, but all civil servants, civilians, retire at the age of 65, discipline services 60. Mm. Yes, that, because people are more active, more healthy these days. That's right. It, it took a long time to get that. It seemed a fairly obvious move. We, we, yes. we moved slowly, didn't we? Yes, yes, yes. It's very obvious. It's just plain vanilla common sense, you know. I think the government is worried about the pension implications. But the simple way out is uh, those on extension, those on old terms, but um, retiring later, just paid an MPF plus. Right. And no, don't lock in those months and years into the pension formula. Yeah, not to fiddle with the pension system, which is very complicated. Mm. So that would mean... Uh, uh, 65 retirement age for all civil servants, not just the newer recruits, and 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 64 disciplined services. But why would there be a difference there? Why, because um, disciplined service members in the old days used to join their services younger, you yeah. know. But now more, most a lot of the new recruits are graduates anyway, and their work is more physically uh, demanding. And a lot of them want to retire early because they, they feel burnt out, you know, a lot of walking, you know, a lot of physical labors. Look at the, the rescue, emergency rescue services of the fire departments, you know. So they have always been allowed to retire earlier so that they can enjoy their pension, you know. Couldn't they be given the option to continue to 65? Um, uh, I think that will uh, require consultation with the discipline service unions. Uh, currently, the, uh, the staff unions are requesting same treatment uh, as those employed on new terms, that is, after June 2000. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm just a, a little worried. I think it, Paul's comment about the holistic approach being necessary must be, must be right. But, but why are, are we looking at why we're losing these people to emigration? We have always had great dream every now and then, you know. Um, and a lot of people have come back, and new people come back, you know. So I'm not too worried. But currently, I think the brain drain is aggravated by a lot of very aggressive recruitment schemes launched by Singapore, Australia, Canada, targeting skilled people. Now, the chief executive has said that he is working out a package of measures to grab the best global talent. And I, I think he'll probably unveil these measures in his policy address. Yeah, I hope he's got his creative people really put with their thinking caps on because there is a great deal of competition for talent globally. 
And yes. what we're showing at the moment is that we, we're not keeping our own. You know, so I think um, we need to do more, you know. Okay. And, um, of course, the freedom of movement is guaranteed in the basic law. Uh, our people have a choice to choose where they live, and they are welcome to come back. Yes, I, I remember heading a, an immigration task force in the mid-1980s, and, and what you said about uh, aggressive immigration schemes by other countries was also started to be true then. And the point systems that they that they introduce, and you can understand why, is one point for each year of full-time education, uh, bonuses, more points if you've got English and French, in the, in the case of Canada, uh, more points if you've got a skill, a professional qualification. Th these are, are almost geared to attracting Hong Kong people, aren't they? They are making it um, simpler and simpler. They're simplifying, you know. Um, sort of one-pass system, you know, global talent stream of Canada and all that. You know, I heard that some programs would just target graduates of uh, reputable universities. So I think we need to simplify our system. Mike, you will know that our general employment policy, under that policy, which does not apply to mainland China, you need to prove your recruitment problem after placing advertisements or holding recruitment seminars for months, you know, that is really outdated, you know. So I think we need to uh, adopt more creative and uh, more aggressive measures. Right. I can confirm that from personal experience because one of my companies is in the process of recruiting someone. We've just had questions from the immigration department exactly uh, along the lines that you're referring to now. Yeah, I understand my old department pretty well, Mike. <laughs> okay, uh, a message here from the Transport Department uh, owing to a traffic accident at all lanes of Wong Jokhang Road flyover. Uh, Aberdeen Tunnel Bound near Namlongshang Road are closed to all traffic. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And an email here from listener James says, uh, what about the climate crisis? Surely having less people in the world is better. Well, that's a fairly uh, short and blunt uh, message. But, um, I mean, how about that, uh, Regina? I mean, do we need to reduce the world population rather than thinking of ways of uh, increasing it? Or at least well, maintaining it's not, it? <laughs> it's not for us to decide um, how to reduce population is for individuals to decide. You know. mm. Some individuals might not want to have babies at all, but those who want babies, we should give them a choice to make use of friends to start families at the time when they can fit. You know. mm. It's not for us to say you cannot have babies, it's for individuals to make the choice. Yeah. But there are areas of the world where for various reasons the people want to get out. I'm thinking at the moment, for example, uh, of Ukraine. A lot of people have left Ukraine and moved temporarily or possibly not temporarily to Poland or Germany. Many of those people have skills. Would we, should we welcome people like that to Hong Kong? Uh, I think we welcome people from all over the world. If they have skills and if they want to live in Hong Kong, they are law-abiding, you know, good character, that sort of thing. Um, Paul, yeah, you mentioned earlier uh, other places, other uh, developed economies in this part of the world, uh, South Korea, Singapore, Japan, ourselves, all with uh, 
a low birth rate and it seems that whatever is tried it doesn't seem to make a, a great deal of difference. I mean, is this just a, a scenario that we're going to have to live with in the future? It is very likely so, I think. Uh, but but um, so what we really have to do is how to invest, I think, on our population and such that I think we have uh, high-quality people which they can, uh, uh, their productivity would be higher or better, can make up the shortfall I think of the number of peoples. I think what we see, I think, um, is in other countries as well. I think they try to invest uh, a lot on automation. I think such that we can rely on less uh, the number of labor force, and also we like to I think move our industry I mean, to a more high end one, which is less labor intensive. I mean now that leads a lot of planning investment. And I do, uh, uh, I, I do believe that. I mean, whether you have a family or not is as an individual de- decision. However, if collectively, I think if it is moving in a direction uh, which is uh, going to produce some undesirable outcome, then that is where the government should come in. I think to, to try to come up with some effective measure. I think to direct the course of the development. Well, at the end of the day. A, a woman's career is affected, isn't it? If she takes out um, a number of weeks, a number of months uh, to give birth and raise a child, in the, even if she goes back to work with, uh, within a short, very short period, there seems to be a sort of push back against her career resuming its previous path. Well, I think if you look at the in a lot of countries, I think the the they do provide this sort of space and then the infrastructure which uh, allow the women, I think, to develop, I think, his career and at the same time, I think, to start the families. But at this moment, I think it is because, I think, uh, 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 I think we have not, I think, uh, uh, created such an environment yet. So they do not necessarily, I think, to uh, seeking a professional development and starting a family, they do not have to be competing with one another. I think we can see, I think in Sweden, in Denmark, I think their women working participation rate, I think we're still talking about 80% or 90%. It is as good as the men's. You know? So I think it is really just, I think the whole society itself, you know, how do we see the truth, whether it is only individual decision or we have some collective responsibility, I think, in uh, helping or, uh, uh, those couples, I mean, to have more children at right. the end of the day, is the whole society being benefited. Do we do, we do enough to facilitate breastfeeding, for example? Well, you can see, I mean, there's a lot of uh, 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 shopping centre now. They do, I think, that they provide uh, these uh, breastfeeding facilities. And so I think it is changing. I think if we aren't improving, we are doing in the right direction. But I think the, um, the amount of effort, I think, certainly, I think uh, we can uh, further improve the situation. Right. What about employers, though? I mean, it's good that you can breastfeed in a... In a shopping complex, but what about when you're at work? Uh, you, maybe you haven't brought the baby with you, but you need uh, places where you can pump I think and store the our, milk. 
in our department, we we do have a room which is reserved, I think, for the um, for the for the female faculty members. I mean, to have a babies. I mean, they do uh, do some uh, breastfeeding or milk pumping and this sort of thing. So, I, so I think this is really it is, so. It is not just only a single measure; it's a collective measure, and everybody feel that they can help. I mean, to improve the situation. Uh, Regina, you also said uh, that policymakers uh, shouldn't look on the ageing population as a burden, but instead uh, focus on the benefits that the older generation can bring to society. I mean, you know, older people, of course, have experience, uh, perhaps greater wisdom. I mean, how should they be encouraged to share that? Well, I think um, um, the government already introduced a lot of measures to encourage active ageing. And um, older people are now far more active and healthier, and they can be mobilized to help voluntary work. You know, the government actually to deal with COVID is, has employed a lot of retired civil servants, recent retirees on a short-term basis. You know, um, they should be encouraged to work part-time or full-time if their health permits, and um, the there could be new all sorts of new products. For the um, for the elderly, financial products, healthcare products, both hardware and software. You know, the the elderly sector could be a source of um, e- uh, economic um, uh, drive. Could be an economic driver, not just a liability on our society. Okay, we'll have to pause it there because we've got to take a a break for the news at nine o'clock. We'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, So thank you very much to uh, Regina Ip, the New People's Party chairwoman and legislator. And thanks very much to Paul Yip, chair professor of population health at the University of Hong Kong's uh, Department uh, of Social Work and Social Administration. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, A quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary. A few showers and thunderstorms uh, today. Uh, Sunny intervals later. Uh, The outlook, uh, windy uh, with one or two showers, uh, temperatures falling slightly later in the week. Uh, Currently it's 28 degrees, humidity 79%. The thunderstorm warning will be in effect until 9.30 and the very hot weather warning is in effect. Fortunate to have had her for 70 years. We all were. The world's better for her. You're listening to the news on RTHK. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Backchats with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And this morning for our main subject, we're talking about suggestions for more financial support and family-friendly policies to address the declining birth rate here in Hong Kong. We're joined now on the line by Dr Dorothy Ung, who's a specialist in obstetrics and gynaecology. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Good Thanks morning. for joining us. So, so one of the uh, suggestions made by the New People's Party, whose uh, chairwoman we were talking to just now, is for uh, a $50,000 subsidy to encourage people to have their uh, eggs or sperm frozen for use at a later date. Um, could you just uh, uh, explain to us uh, how this uh, technology works? Right. So um, egg freezing is actually a technology that is aiming to preserve a woman's fertility by freezing the eggs when um, she is still young and when the eggs are of better quality. 
so that when she's ready at the later time, she can try to have a family um, postponing, postponing, postponing it to a later date. Because we all know that well, a woman's chance of conceiving naturally actually falls as she gets older. Yeah. What's the best age, in your view, for the, for the woman to start, freeze her eggs? Right. So this is a very good question because it's um, guided by several factors. Number one, because according to the Hong Kong law, um, the eggs in Hong Kong can only be frozen for 10 years. And um, secondly, it's guided by, like, the natural decline in a woman's fertility, right? So I think if you freeze it too early, like if, you're, if, you're, if it's only in the early 20s, then it's not that, too, uh, not that wise because you only can freeze it till you're 30, 10 years later. Right. But then if you freeze it too late, like say you're already 40 and you go and freeze eggs at 40 years old, then your eggs will already, um, the quality of the eggs will already be um, towards the poorer end. So um, my recommended optimal time to consider egg freezing is actually between 30 to 14. Yes, where, where the egg quality and the ovarian reserve is of reasonable um, right. quality. Yeah. Do, do the eggs deteriorate with the passage of time? Exactly, yes, uh, absolutely. The eggs deteriorate as a, uh, as a woman grows older. So um, it, it's not too wise if you delay this egg freezing process till a very late age. Uh, I was thinking of, you said there's a legal limit to freezing yeah. them for 10 years. Right. Uh, what's the justification for that limit? Um, well, that's a very interesting question because... Um, uh, actually, I think a lot of us have um, advocated that this uh, age, uh, this limit should be lengthened. But then this is currently the Hong Kong law where we can only freeze our eggs for 10 years maximum. Or, right. um, um, well, uh, in some circumstances, it can be frozen until 55, whichever is later. But that's only um, when it's like um, with cancer patients or with medical diseases. Right. Because I, I was just thinking, if the eggs are in really tip-top condition when you're 20 yeah. um, and there's no limit to the length of time, then obviously you should be freezing them when, when you're 20. And then you can have the baby at 30 or 35 or 40. But um, if... it, makes more sense, it makes more sense if there's no limit to the uh, duration of egg freezing. But then another um, argument is you can say that, well, if you freeze it too early the chance of using it, like, you know, uh, down the road might not be that high because if you're, you're freezing at 20, then if you um, say you're already married at 25, then um, you might not need, need egg freezing, right? right. Uh, another very important um, factor in Hong Kong to consider is you must be married, legally married, before you can use your eggs. Oh. So you must be, you must find your partner, and, and secondly, you must get legally married in Hong Kong in order to be able to utilize your eggs and to fertilize your eggs with the sperms of your partner. So that's another um, another uh, legal requirement here in Hong Kong. What about sperm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about in the case of a man? Um, in the case of a man, um, we also have sperm freezing in Hong Kong. Although um, the use of sperm freezing is less common, just because that the um, natural decline in a man's fertility is is less significant as compared with the woman, it's not a very 
fair world, <laughs> men decline uh, less significantly in terms of fertility. So um, we do also have sperm freezing in Hong Kong. And again, you also need to be um, legally married before you can um, use your sperm. So, uh, yeah, just going back to that legal point. So you, you have to be married before uh, the eggs or the sperm can be frozen. Um, but So if you get sort of divorced in the meantime or something, you, you break up, does that mean that they, then they can't be used? Well, actually, to freeze the sperm or the eggs, you don't need to be married. You can be single when you freeze it. But then when you want to defrost oh, your eggs or your sperm, right. yeah, when you want to defrost it from um, the lab, and you want to combine it, like fertilize it with uh, your partner's sperm or eggs at, at that time, at that point where you've defrosted, you will need to be legally married. It, it yeah. seems that there's a sort of moral or religious aspect to our policy in these areas. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it's quite rigid in Hong Kong, and um, um, it is, it is a, a factor that many patients like worry about because they do worry that there is a limit to the um, egg freezing duration period of time in Hong Kong. Yeah, so that is a consideration factor to patients as well. Because of course, when you actually activate the the eggs and uh, and sperm in some way, then uh, that's when the child rearing, which is more demanding, actually starts, isn't it? Right. So there's a, a limit, presumably, to how late you want to do that for the health of the woman. Okay, um, right, right. So what is actually the procedure when the, uh, when the eggs are unfrozen? Uh, when the eggs are... When we do want to freeze our eggs, mm. so first of all, it involves, like, injections. Mm -hmm. we first, the first step is to stimulate the ovaries. So we give injection uh, drugs where we aim to... Um, stimulate the eggs to grow. And then um, once w the eggs are ready, we give another injection trigger to complete the final maturation of the eggs. Yeah. And then um, we will arrange a, a procedure, like egg collection procedure, which is performed under ultrasound guidance. Basically, uh, the ultrasound is like, uh, it will be done through the vagina root. So there will be no tummy wounds and no tummy scars. Uh, the needle will go through the vagina and uh, it will go through the vagina into the follicles from the ovaries. And then we would be um, taking out the eggs and the em embryologist will be checking the eggs under the microscope. Yeah. So um, this whole procedure only takes around 30 minutes. Um, it would usually be done under sedation and the woman can usually go home after resting a couple of hours. Uh, and can usually return to work the next day. So that's already the whole egg freezing procedure. You're already okay. done. Yeah. But do then when you do get legally married, say, five years later, you're legally married, okay, and you want to come back and use your eggs, mm -hmm. then we will complete the rest of the process with um, the IVF procedure. So basically, uh, the embryologist will defrost your eggs, and then the defrost eggs will be fertilized using the sperms, uh, your partner's sperms, uh, using a fertilized, special fertilization technique. And then hopefully we'll get some baby embryos. And then um, subsequently these baby embryos can be transferred into the woman's uh, womb, mm. 
with the aim of getting pregnant. Right. Yeah. Do, do we have sperm banks in Hong Kong? Um, there is uh, a very limited supply of sperm banks in Hong Kong. There is, uh, there is one, but then um, the, uh, the supply and the usage is actually relatively low, according to my knowledge. Yeah. Mm. How about the yeah, egg banks? Yeah. Uh, we don't have egg banks in Hong Kong, unfortunately. But but the the freezing facilities are are there enough uh, facilities here to meet the demand from the public? Um, well, according to my knowledge, um, uh, the public centres in Hong Kong uh, don't do social egg freezing, meaning they don't um, they don't provide any egg freezing services for ladies who are just looking to freeze their eggs because of a declining age. Um, they only do, public services only to provide egg freezing where you have medical reasons, like you have, um, you're about to start cancer treatments or you have other medical conditions. So if you're looking for social egg freezing where you just want to preserve your fertility, where um, you worry about like your age and you want to preserve your fertility and do egg freezing, then you need to do it in, uh, in the private sector. Right, right, right. Uh, and and how, how much demand for that is there? Um, I think the demand is growing, um, increasing over these years mm -hmm. as um, because of uh, increasing awareness and... Um, there is also a tendency where women marry at a later stage, where they, you know, meet their um, meet their partner at a later stage. So um, people, women are aware that they do need to freeze their eggs at a uh, earlier time in order to get pregnant later. So the demand, I think, is increasing over um, these few years. And, yeah. and is this also w w women who you know, want to develop their careers in their younger years before they're ready exactly, to start a family? Exactly, mm? exactly. Exactly. Twenty, uh, you know, thirty to forty is like a woman's prime age for career for many of us, right? So it is, um, it is a very important technology for women nowadays. What about the expense? How much does it cost? Um, you mean the cost, isn't it? Yes. How uh, it's actually uh, on the expensive side, uh, so I would recommend ladies to start saving when they're young. Um, the, the main cost would be the technology part from the uh, embryologist part, and it would be involving a lot of injections at the first stage and also the egg collection procedure. So uh, it would be, it would be, um, you know, need, need some money saving. Mm. <laughs> Are we talking 50,000 or 100,000? Um, pretty much, pretty mm. much, yeah. Mm. There can be a range depending on your age and also uh, depending on the injections, you know, the number of injections that you need. So there can be a range, yeah. Mm. So that, uh, that subsidy suggestion of uh, $50,000 uh, would obviously uh, be a big help in that respect. So, um, yeah, so, so just remind us again, you, you said the, the, the optimum age for doing this would be, um, uh, what, what age did you suggest again? I would say between 30 to 40 would be a good age. 30 yeah. to 40. 30 to 40, right, yeah. right, okay. All right, well, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. That is uh, Dr Dorothy Ng, who's a specialist in obstetrics and gynaecology.
Um, thanks a lot. Okay, um, for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the programme, we're going to switch our attention to our second topic, and that is uh, tree management, um, because uh, um, uh, I'm sure everybody will have seen uh, in the news that uh, um, a large tree fell down on, to on top of a, a school bus in uh, Homantin on Friday morning. Uh, 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 thankfully, nobody was hurt. There were two people on board the bus at the time, the driver and the bus mother, and, um, and I think they're both just received minor injuries but if you saw the pictures the the front of the bus was a a, a total mess the, the 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 you know the roof was pretty much squashed in the windscreen was out so um it was a, a, a potentially um a very serious uh, incident uh, and of course there are lots of other trees uh, all around uh, the territory in the urban areas and you know not to mention in the country parks and the forests and everything uh, we're now joined on the line by sammy Ao, who's the president of the china arborist association good morning to you oh good morning so what do you think went wrong what was the problem uh, in this case on friday i mean a, a, a lot has been said about the possibility of the the roots being rotten or what do you think well it's, i i would think uh see when i first think something like this happens We've got to trace the problem back to the root. I mean, I mean the root of the problem, not the root of the tree itself, mm -hmm. uh, rather. So what is really wrong is the design. How, I mean, how come we can put such a large tree into a small planting pit and then leave it in a, a populated area? I mean, we, we are just building a potential time bomb for ourselves. So it is really the design. And uh, the design responsibility in Hong Kong right now is usually just maybe one year or maximum two years. That's a design liability. I mean, unlike uh, engineers and architects, they have uh, over a 50-year liability for their professional uh, uh, performance. But for tree design, maybe one to two years. So who care? Mm. Nobody would care because uh, first, uh, when you plan... In the first year, it will be a small tree. You won't be planting a very big tree in, in, a, in a pit. But the tree will grow. Right. So what happened 30 years later? Well, who so plants what, most what? of the trees in Hong Kong, then? Well, all the roadside trees. Then yeah, all roadside trees. Are they planted by the government as part of the highways project? I think any project in Hong Kong, any greenery project in Hong Kong, mm. is what they normally do. They will plant a very small tree in a, in a small tree pit and thinking that uh, the tree will not grow at all and it will be the same size 30 years later. So what we need to do is really to extend the professional liability for design up to maybe 50 years or so. And that would instantly cure the problem because no one will be... I mean, everyone will be more careful, you know, if they ever... if they have to design a tree and to last for 50 years or so. So this will be the solution. When you say a small tree pit, I mean, uh, what sort of size and what kind of construction are we talking about? Well, normally the size of a tree pit on the roadside in Hong Kong is, well, maybe around one metre by one metre or, or maximum 1.5 metre by 1.5 metres. So that's rather small. And if you want to plant something into a small hole like this, then you would have to select a species that does not grow extensively, especially uh, leaning onto the road. Mm. So, so this will re really be the design uh, issue. Okay, and, and does the planting pit have like solid walls? I mean, are, are, are the roots of the tree uh, confined within that? Well, roots of a 
tree will spread mm-hmm. up to the uh, drip line of the canopy. So right. roots do not go down. They go sideways. Right. So because uh, the roots, I mean, to, to grow the roots, you need oxygen and, and uh, water. And uh, anything under the hard paving, you won't get much of it. Right. So the roots will more or less stop or maybe extend maybe for a, for a few feet or so and usually smaller roots because they cannot expand. No, it's a lack of uh, water and the air underneath hard paving. Right. So, so the so the roots don't grow properly. So they're not adequate to support the tree when the tree uh, grows up. That's right. Mm. So because tree won't commit suicide, mm. as we all know, yeah. it will carry on growing yeah. to the best to the yeah. best of its ability. Now, th- this one that fell over in Homanten, this was a flame tree. I mean, are yeah. they are they known to be particularly problematic? Because it is a very fast-growing tree, so anything fast-growing, then they are they are usually liable to insect attack and to uh, fungal attack. And so it, it, it is not quite a good species for roadside. In addition to uh, having better planning requirements at the beginning of planting trees, because obviously yeah. that will take several decades to be effective. What can we do about existing trees? Well, that is quite a difficult issue because uh, the best way to do is to remove them all <laughs> because they are potential time bombs, but this will absolutely, uh, absolutely arouse a public uproar. Absolutely. Sure. We love trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Arborists also love trees. I mean, remo- removing any tree is, will be the last issue. But again, you've got to balance up the this public safety uh, with the value of the tree. Then, what 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 decision would you make when it comes to public safety? I'd be inclined to keep the tree, actually. Yeah. Then what happens if it fails? Yes, and trees are, branches are going to fall off from time to time, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, probably branches is one thing, but what about a whole tree? I mean, the impact can be tremendous, mm. especially if it is a last tree. I mean, when we say a last tree, we're talking about the, the uh, trunk diameter, oh, maybe over a foot or so. Absolutely. That can, yeah, that, that can weigh more or less a ton. That, that, those are something. the best. Mm. A banyan tree, an old banyan tree provides shade, it provides home for birds, it, it yeah. soothes the human breast. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's well, part of nature. Yeah. See, there are, I mean, trees provide the human society a lot of benefits, really. Yes. I mean, like energy saving, wildlife uh, habitat, and uh, preventing uh, what we call flush, flash flooding, etc. But there are times that uh, when a tree becomes a uh, huge public liability, then we've got to do something about it. And, for example, this flame tree in Homantin. I mean, during the regular inspection, you won't see anything because uh, the inspection uh, procedure now is all uh, in, in the air. I mean, it's not underground. But a problem happens underground, which, which are very difficult to detect. Yes. But the, the yeah. Secretary for Development's ordered, is it 10,000 flame trees to be uh, inspected? Uh, that, for that, I don't know, because uh, we, we have to carry out a careful inspection to find out which trees are more dangerous than the others. 
But uh, I, I think the government decision would likely be removing any tree that they found uh, dangerous. But from what you're saying, yes, uh, a dangerous tree, obviously, has something got to be done about it if you can see that it's dangerous. But I think your your main point here is that visually, from the ground up, it may not look dangerous. Exactly. We, we need to know what's happening to the root system below. Yeah, but uh, with the present technology, there isn't much we can do about it, really. Okay. Like, if we remove all the pavings, all the bricks, that will create even more instability for the tree. So tree root problems are difficult to to find out and, and, and to cure. Mm. Well, there are ways, but uh, it will be expensive. I mean, for example, you know, building a uh, better rooting environment for the tree, but that will cost a lot of money. I don't, I don't know whether the government is willing to pay or not. But, I mean, for yes. example, you, you look at Taekwon in Central. They've done something amazing by installing all these underground air ducts, but that costs a lot of money. And that may not be appropriate for every roadside tree in Hong Kong as well. And from what you were saying before, uh, mm. removing the paving immediately surrounding, that yeah. would allow, allow the roots to spread further. But how much can you remove? Right. I mean, pedestrians need to use the pavement as well. Yes. Mm. And uh, that would make yeah, the trees safer. But yes, there's no footpath left. Exactly. So you've got to balance up. So. The root of the problem is really the design. I mean, in the beginning, if you don't pick such a big tree, then it will solve all the problems. Mm -hmm. See, any lousy tree design eventually will uh, induce a very high cost for maintenance. And at the end, you have to remove the tree, like what is happening right now. So it is a design mm -hmm. which was wrong. Mm -hmm. So do you think we could see a, a program over the years, maybe of, uh, of the larger trees being removed and, and smaller trees replacing them? Well, I think this is what the government is likely to, to do. Mm. This will be the cheapest way, mm. isn't it? This will be the cheapest alternative. Mm. Instead of building anything uh, more expensive to save the tree. Yeah. And do they have the money? Do they have the people to do it? That, I'm very doubtful. I think the po po politics is going to be a problem. People love trees. <laughs> well, the government will always find a way to explain to the public what they're doing are, are, are correct. Mm. Out, outside my apartment, just across the road, yeah. there's a very steep slope, or like a wall, a retaining wall, and mm -hmm. halfway up it is an enormous tree. Um, yeah. yeah, I would vote for the tree. Gr growing out of the wall. Right? Yes. It's, it's a wall tree. Yes. It seems right. to. Mm. It seems to be. Mm. And I, I have a feeling if you remove the tree, you'd have mm. to do a lot more work to support the road, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to keep the tree. Well, see, 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 to the general public, it is a feeling rather than a scientific analysis yes. on uh, the tree stability and uh, the, the value of the tree existence. I mean, for average, we will go to uh, more details, like how stable is the tree and how much it will cost for the maintenance. Mm -hmm. Right. Onwards. 
how, yeah. how, how about that, Mr. Rao? Those the, the trees that you see uh, growing out of walls and uh, um, the, the, the roots are covering the brickwork and everything. I mean, they, I mean, they do occasionally fall down as well, don't they? I remember one one, they do. one fell down on Bonham Road several, yeah. se several years so, ago. Yeah. So it's quite a complicated issue because it involves a lot of wind mechanics and the soil friction. Mm. And for that, many of, many of the data are simply guesswork. Mm. Because we cannot take away all the material and then uh, do analysis on them because the tree will fall over. Mm. So it is difficult. I mean, what best would be to stop the problem from developing in the beginning? Right. And that will, yeah. I, I think so so they come back to the design. Design. Right. You sold that argument very well, but even mm -hmm. if we start it now and the government agrees and it can get all the developers to on board and, and everything's working smoothly. The benefit of that isn't going to emerge un until the design life you, you yeah. were talking about, 50 years. So we have an yeah. immediate problem in the, every, every year, in fact, uh, a choice to yeah. be made. That's when right. when so, trees start to look dangerous, what do we do? Pull well, them up, pull them up by the to, roots. Well, uh, I'm afraid you can only continue to do the, a careful inspection on uh, any tree that you suspect will cause injury, hmm. then what, what else can we do? You can't remove them all, then, and you cannot save them all either. Okay. So quite a, quite a headache, really. Hmm. Okay, well, thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Sammy Yao there, uh, president of the China Arborist Association. And uh, thank you very much to all of our listeners and to everybody who wrote in. It's nearly 9.30, so that brings us uh, to the end of this morning's Back Chat. Thanks very much to you, Mike. I'm back tomorrow, apparently. Oh, indeed you are. Yes, we'll look forward to that. OK, so will I be. Um, right, now, just before we go to the brunch with Noreen, uh, let's have a quick look at the weather uh, few showers and thunderstorms uh, sunny intervals later in the day very hot in the afternoon top temperature around 33 degrees uh, the outlook windy with one or two showers and temperatures falling slightly uh, tomorrow and on wednesday uh, sunny periods in the later part of the week it's currently uh, 28 degrees humidity is at 78 percent the thunderstorm warning will remain in effect until, uh, well, round about now, actually. Uh, and the very hot weather warning is also in force. If your child was born on or before December 31st, 2017, and is to enter Primary 1 in a government or aided primary school in September next year, you should obtain the Primary 1 application form from the Kindergarten or Kindergarten Coombe Child Care Center.